Welcome to the Reiki Gateway Podcast with Reiki Masters Kathleen Johnson and Andrea Kennedy. Journey with us and let's explore what lies beyond the Reiki Gateway. Hello and welcome. I'm Andrea Kennedy along with my co-host Kathleen Johnson and we are delighted to have Tina Zion as our special guest today. Tina is a fourth generation intuitive medium. She specializes in medical intuition, but she has done so much throughout her life. She's a Reiki master teacher. She's an accomplished author and holds classes internationally for medical intuition and really feels passionate about helping empower people to help themselves and bring more light through for healing and helping others. Her newest book is entitled Be Your Own Medical Intuitive, and it's coming out October 1st, and she's offering her classes online now for medical intuition. And we're just so delighted to have you here, Tina. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. One of the things that struck me, Tina, about your story is the fact that you're fourth generation intuitive medium. And can you please just give us a little bit of background? That is just, I think, fascinating because so often I run across people that are trying to find their intuitive gifts, trying to tap in spiritually. And for you, it seems like you've had that your whole life and that that was supported uh, way back from when you were a child. And if you could just explain a little bit about your family, your upbringing, and how that was for you to grow up with that sort of support. Hmm. You know, um, I love the word support. I have not thought of it that way. And, and no one has asked me in that way that you just did. So that being said, the upbringing that I had was seemed very, very normal to me. In fact, I had no idea that everyone doesn't grow up this way. But, you know, we never had any classes. We never had really much discussion about it. It just was expected. So if the telephone rang uh, and we just knew who it was before we picked up the phone, that was expected. When my uncle died, we actually just expected to perceive him in all kinds of ways, hearing him, seeing him. He used to knock on my bedroom window, which used to scare me when he was in spirit. But anyway, it's just very, very natural in my family. And what I would really want to emphasize is that I didn't have a gift. My great grandmother, who I spent a lot of time with, she didn't have a gift either. We feel like this is just a very, very natural, natural ability that everyone has. It's just very few people seem to notice and they seem to uh, struggle to notice how to identify what intuition is. So I would say it's not a gift, but I love it that you use the word support because it was very, very supported. But like I said, we had no classes. We They didn't say, oh, notice this or do it this way. It's just we would share like at family gatherings, like at Thanksgiving or Christmas. One of my nieces uh, not too long ago wanted to know who's had extra spirit activity in their house. 
And oh, probably six of us raised our hands, you know, and then we just chatted away. And sometimes when I've had visitors that I've brought to my family, and we end up talking about um, spirit people coming to us, coming into our homes, things like that. Some of my friends that I've brought to our family gatherings have been quite shocked where we were just chattering away about it and didn't even think anything of it. So I really want to emphasize that naturalness and that truly we are all wired to do this, but most people just don't notice it or they blow it off and think it's their imagination. This is fascinating, Tina, growing up without all these events and experiences and that support, I'm curious as to when you started to realize that the majority of the rest of the world didn't operate that way. How did you reconcile that with what went on in your family? In truth, it was such a normal part of life that I just assumed it was happening to the people I went to school with, you know, in elementary and middle school and high school. And it really didn't occur to me until uh, more in my adult life when I was, you know, sharing more and more comfortable with myself. I started hearing how people didn't know what I was talking about, or people would become quite afraid and even afraid of me because I was talking about this this uh, non-physical world. So gosh, I would have to say I was probably in my mid-20s before it really even occurred to me. Wow. That's fascinating. I, I know, yes. I, I hadn't thought about that, so it, really it was is. a good question. Something that comes to my mind is, you know, we talk with a lot of Reiki practitioners, a lot of students, and you mentioned that you would talk about this. And sometimes people would have a fear about this topic. Do you have any advice or, you know, what would you do in that situation to help, I don't know, maybe educate them or help them not have fear? I'm not sure how you would have broached that. Well, how I would approach it now, of course, I didn't do that back then um, in my mid-20s, but how I would approach it now is to notice, and I would share this with other people who were going into fear, that we, the aliveness that's in, you know, like the three of us right here in this podcast, the aliveness in us is the spirit of us. It is a spirit. So we are actually spirits right now. So we have a non-physical part of us, the spirit, and a physical part of us, the body. And so does everyone else. And I love to tell people that, that people in spirit are actually just as alive as we are because that is our aliveness. So when I start to talk about it like that, uh, it starts to make sense to people and they, they can calm a little bit because we're literally spirits in a uh, spirit-filled world. And I hope to help people realize that they um, have a foot in the physical and a foot in the non-physical at the exact same time. And that this, in, in fact, 
is the true balance, I think, in life. I, you know, I, we're, we hear a lot about, oh, we need to have balance in our life and balance with sleep and things like that. I would say that we also need, and I hope to really spread the word about this, to have balance in the non-physical world because it's just as real and a balance in the physical world at the exact same time. So that's kind of my my long answer to your question, but I love it. Yeah, yeah, I it's well, it's because I it's true. And when I say this to people, they can feel that that truth in their heart. I I see frequently. I love your explanation, Tina. Because thank you, it makes so much sense. And as you were saying it, I could just feel the comfort of those words. It really is very effective at taking away the fear. Um, I, I just love the way you worded that. I, I think that that would be a great way to explain to people mm-hmm. the physical and the non-physical and the aliveness, as you say. I So I commend you for that. That was amazing. Oh, thank you. Now, see, when we start to think of life that way, it brings a um, a naturalness to this, uh, and when things are natural, then th- they're not so terrifying. Maybe it has to do too with the unseen, right? Because people don't see, uh, perhaps as readily, this non-physical, and so to me, I'm thinking that's probably right up there for the reasons that they might have fear. With medical intuition, with intuition just in general, which can bring about our awareness of seeing more, of sensing more, then that can help us perhaps feel more comfortable in the non-physical, the things that we can't see. Would you agree with that? Yes. And in fact, I would like to emphasize that we don't have to see everything because some people receive intuitive information either from the universe or from a spirit person with thoughts jumping in our head because that's telepathy. Telepathy is really the the energy of thought bouncing back and forth. And so, you know, it's it's seen with our eyes open, but it's also seen in our mind's eye. It's telepathy, thought entering in. Spirit comes in through our dreams. And usually what I, what I would like to tell your listeners is that if, if your deceased loved ones are coming into your dreams, it usually means that they're trying to get through to us when we are awake and they need to resort to our dreams to get through to us. So see, there's all really all kinds of pathways to start noticing the non-physical world. Oh, Mm -hmm. yes. Yes. There are so many paths to the non-physical world. Yes. Um, One of which I know that you're very familiar with is Reiki. And of course, the medical intuition, which I definitely want to discuss in more detail. But how did you come to Reiki after having the childhood and the upbringing you had? How did that become a part of your life, if you don't mind sharing that? You know, I I love to mention that. I was at a woman's conference and there was all kinds of classes, you know, that would last an hour or so to sign up for, you know, all throughout the weekend. And 
a couple of my friends said, oh, this is this Reiki is an, an energy thing. Let's take that class. So I said, okay, that's that sounds great to me. And we took that Reiki class and she actually included the attunement to everyone in that in that class. And so I loved it. It felt again natural to work with energy, but that was that was the the big opening to Reiki is a couple of my friends said, Oh, let's let's take this class. I thought, okay. And off I went. And let me add this too that Reiki actually, what do I say? I exploded or opened up the medical intuitive ability because I didn't have the the sense about looking inside uh, of a person's physical body and their energy field until Reiki. So I would say that Reiki just opens up doorways and it opened up this doorway to medical intuition. And I give credit to Reiki too, that Reiki opened up my international teaching too, that the Reiki Association in New Zealand was the first people to reach out to me. And they said, you know, could you come and talk to our annual Reiki group? I said, sure, I'll I'll come there and talk. And that's how Reiki opened up the door uh, for, you know, my talks and my classes internationally. So, you know, I'm covered with goosebumps as I talk about it right now. I, Reiki's just uh, so amazing. It's wonderful. I, it's yes, so wonderful. Yes. Were you a nurse at that time? Because I know you were a registered nurse mm-hmm. and practicing, correct? Yes, I'm still a, a registered nurse. You know, my license is still uh, ongoing, but I have a, a, a clinical board specialty in psychiatric nursing. So I always worked in mental health, and I've worked in private practice for a long, long time now. And that was just a, a blending too. So I realized that I was just blending Reiki energy. I was blending mental health concepts to clients, and then also the intuitive. So it all just wow. blended. And I'd really emphasize to your listeners too that we don't have to stop doing our normal nine to five job to do Reiki or to do medical intuition. It's, it will tend to be a a flow and a blending for people. And can you talk a little bit about medical intuition? I'm sure we have listeners that aren't really sure what it is or, you know, how, how you might offer that to someone. Could you explain for those listeners who have questions about what it is. It's one way to receive more information because actually intuition is simply the ability to notice information, information from the world around us, information from the universe around us. So it's really just information. Where medical intuition comes in, is I spontaneously, while I was doing a Reiki session, I spontaneously just was looking inside of a person's lungs. And it looked like uh, a photograph. It looked like an x-ray. And I was startled, actually. I could see exactly where the inflammation was at, which lung was more inflamed than the other. And then So I was wowed out by that. But then when I was doing another Reiki session, I was inside of this person's colon. 
And I found a group of polyps I was shown. So it's literally looking inside of a person's body. It could be their joints. It could be muscle. It could be an organ, things like that. It's really only part of it because in medical intuition, I've noticed that it includes, you know, people's joys, their sorrows, their fears. See, we're picking up the emotions that are uh, causing our illness. Uh, We're picking up past lives that might be causing physical and mental and emotional troubles in our current life. So it's it just is so broad, but I specifically uh, teach people also how to deliberately look in, not just wait till it spontaneously happens. But I studied myself, oh gosh, for my first medical intuition book, I studied myself for, I think, seven or eight, nine months, something like that. And I would just take notes. Oh, how did I do this? How did I do that? And what happened next? And then it it formed the book, which then formed the workshops. Um, And I noticed I was more and more deliberately looking in, but only with permission. So I really want to emphasize that to your listeners, that this there's nothing more intimate than medical intuition. Because not only are we picking up general information like all intuitives do for for their client, but we're going inside of their physical body. So there's nothing more intimate, in my opinion, than medical intuition. And it's absolutely a must that we only do this with permission. It's like, as the three of us sit here, I would have, would have no intentions of ever perceiving uh, inside of another person um, without permission. Absolutely. So appreciate you saying that, Tina, because Mm. I think having those boundaries is just so important as practitioners, but also as a client or just somebody walking down the street. You know, I I would appreciate people not just tuning into me because they want to, you know. Exactly. Yeah. But as a practitioner, I've just got a lot of questions for you because Mm -hmm. if you see something, say you have permission and you look in the body and then you see something um, that could be quite alarming, I guess I would say, to the person, can you give us an example of a session or something that happened that you saw? How do you handle that with your client? Well, I can't tell you how many times I will describe what I'm perceiving. And you know what the client most of the time says, I thought so. Or I was wondering, and I agree with you. So, so rarely are they surprised. But when I need to say something like um, cancer, I'm not licensed to give a diagnosis, whether it's cancer or a broken toe or whatever it is. So that's important for people to realize that medical intuitives, unless they have a a medical license to do that, they should not diagnose. I'll tell you my first story. When I was spontaneously inside of a person's colon and I saw this group of polyps, I could tell that they were black, they were cancerous, that kind of thing. And I knew exactly where in the intestine it was. What we intuitives can do 
is describe what we perceive in detail. So what I said, I did not say cancer. What I said was, um, you have a, a lump here in this certain area, and it just feels like it's bulging, and the energy is not flowing. See, black would be, it's not, there's no movement there. Very congested, very dense. So I want you to call your doctor today and insist on a colonoscopy. And bless her heart, she did. She did that right away. And she had surgery and it was a, a group, a, a quite a large group of cancerous polyps. Now she was probably in her seventies when I perceived that. And she passed on not too long ago in, in her late nineties. So see, it gave her so many more years. What struck me with that is the responsibility. Oh my goodness. I don't know. Trying to put myself in your shoes in that moment. Wow. I don't know. I just think what a responsibility and how you must trust your intuition to be able to do that. And I think a lot of people struggle with that. The trusting of what they're getting. Do you have advice for people to to get better at that? Yes, because trust, if you think about trust is um, a type of thought, but it's also feelings and sensations. And what I've noticed over the years is that the more we trust our intuitive abilities, then trust is a smooth and opens up like a highway of information. It opens up a big doorway that when we trust what we receive, the intuition actually becomes more accurate because it is. It's like smooths out a bumpy road and opens up a big doorway. And so that's what I would say about that. Now, as far as the responsibility, that does scare a lot of people. But here's what I want the listeners to really hear is that we're not really responsible because we are we are perceiving um, intuitive information and we are just sharing what we perceive. But when a person ends the session with me, I hand the responsibility of their life back to them. I couldn't make her call her physician. So I just told her what it looked like, what it felt like, how I perceived it without giving it the label. And then I asked her, please take responsibility and call your doctor because it just doesn't look right or feel right. That is one of the worries for people new to this is carrying the responsibilities. And I would beg people not to carry the responsibilities, to hand that back to your clients and for them to follow through with. Once again, Tina, I think you described it beautifully because what you did was describe what you perceived. You didn't attach anything to it. I'm sure it did not come from a place of fear. There was none of that. It was, this is what I perceived. And that was it. There was not a lot of drama or emotion. No. And I think if we as practitioners proceed that way, it takes a tremendous pressure off of us. I, I know speaking for myself, yes. I, I'm very fascinated by medical intuition. I'm one of those people who know very little about it. And I hope that changes by the end of this episode. I'm learning so much already and I'm very interested in it. So don't mm -hmm. be surprised if you see me in one year class. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> I would love that. I would love it too. <laughs> I think that this was one of the fears I've had around this is how do you tell someone what you perceive without scaring the heck out of people, right? And the way you described it was perfect. Just very, this is what I found. And here it is, like you said, turning the responsibility back to the individual, which yes. is where it belongs. Yes, because, you know, the longer and the older that we get, and the longer that we do uh, this level of work with other people, if we are carrying the responsibility for all these other people with us, we aren't going to make it as intuitives. So we need to be the brightest light for everyone and not merge into their sadness, their sorrows, the, their traumas that are going on. We need to be the brightest light and not get caught up or we just merge in with their sorrows. So be the brightest light. Yes. Be the brightest light. I love that message. We get a lot of questions about energy, how to take care of our energy. A lot of empaths uh, ask this as well. They feel like they take on the energy of their clients and things like that. And I'd love to hear your thoughts about that and your advice for practitioners to take care of their energy. Many, many, many people in my uh, classes and people that I meet with individually for mentoring actually identify themselves as empaths. And what that truly means is we don't have very good boundaries for our own energy field and that we are merging in with other people. That's very, very different when we merge into other people's energy, it tends to be when other people are struggling and struggling terribly. And so again, all that means is we've joined other people in the misery rather than being a healer and the greatest light. Because if we hold the light for other people, it helps them get out of their misery. But as impasse, if we merge into it and carry it around and make it our own, there hasn't been a healing. In fact, it's there's been more trauma for two people instead of one person. The best way I can describe it is I always want to be the brightest light to, to show people the way out of their misery. But empaths struggle with this. I want people to get more in charge of themselves, more in charge of their energy field, more in charge of their thoughts and emotions. Because when we are more in charge of ourselves, we won't be merging in with other people's sorrows. I can't agree more with that. And I think, yeah, I think a lot of people feel like they have to get down in the muck with the person and, and that that's yeah. showing compassion or something like that. But I couldn't yeah. agree more with your take on it. We can still be compassionate and not merge, not get lost in our clients struggles because there's there's no end to the trauma that people have and the struggles that people have uh so you know the best way to be the healer is to not empathically soak up everyone's stuff mm -hmm. i like the way you word that again because when i'm working with a client what i will say to them is that your first responsibility is to 
yourself. And I am very clear about that, that each one of us needs to be responsible for ourselves. And whether it's self-care, um, you know, taking care of our energy, what have you, that is the primary responsibility when we come into body. But there are those clients, I've had a few, I'm sure Andrea has, maybe you have too, that come in time after time expecting the magic bullet that's going to clear all their problems and they're not doing their own work. Those are the kinds of clients that can really wear down a practitioner. I know for me it has happened, even though I think my boundaries are relatively strong with clients, there are those that somehow seem to <laughs> wiggle around them a bit. Mm. And um, I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that, if any. Well, I have lots of thoughts about it. Um, <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, yes. Um, there's a couple of different ways I would ask you and, and the listeners too, to um, do things and say things quite differently. I would mention, because here's where we become as practitioners, the teacher, hopefully, and I talk about how in the session, how they are responsible for their own lives. So I begin to verbalize it and verbalize it as, you know, I don't have responsibility as your intuitive or your mental health counselor. Where is your responsibility in this? So I start verbalizing about responsibility. But the other very, very powerful thing that you and I do and other people can do is at the end of every session, I always give them homework. It doesn't matter to me if they do their homework, because if I start worrying that whether they're doing their homework or not, we're lugging them around, we're carrying around responsibility for them. But if we give them homework, and that could be, there's, it's uncountable what the homework could be, um, it sends a very strong signal of, oh, I'm supposed to do something for myself. The client gets the signal that, oh, I'm supposed to do something for my own life. Tina's not going to do it all. And so I'd really recommend starting to give everybody homework uh, at the end of the session. Now that could be, you could just simply say, now if you would, I'm, and I call it homework, and I'll say to a client, well, now I'm going to give you some homework if you choose to accept it. And I want you to notice this and this and this until you come back for your next session. So it could be as simple as that and it t tie it in with what you did during the session, or it could be an energy homework. It could be, um, you know, filling your heart three times a day with the most beautiful uh, shade of green to build up your heart energy. It's just uncountable what the homework could be, but those are just a couple of simple examples. I'm glad you brought up the subject of homework. I, too, tend to give clients homework. Oh, excellent. Um, I have teaching background and I'm very much in favor of homework. It works on, a, on an overt physical level, but also a very subtle level that they may not be aware of. Um, I'm turning over the reins to their life to them. Correct. Correct. Tina, I, too, would often give homework, you know, mm. if it came up in my awareness to do so. I, I love that idea. I think it's fantastic. 
And I did learn in my early days that I couldn't take everybody home with me because I would lay in my bed at night and I would think about all the clients and I would kind of be concerned. Oh, I wonder if they did this or that, or I wonder how they're doing. And luckily for me, I observed myself doing this and I knew it was not going to be helpful. And I really had to make a decision at that point. And I said, I can't do that anymore. Um, I have to let it go. I'm really thankful that I did. And hopefully us having this conversation helps other people also feel like they have permission to let the client go and, and do their own thing. So I think that's really important for sure. You said you want to be the brightest light. Can you share with us? How do you do that? How can we do that? Bring in the light like you're describing. Well, we're, we're actually talking about one of the ways is to not to carry, because when we carry that worry, when you went to bed and was thinking about this client and this person and that person, that's literally you are carrying uh, some of their weight around because everything is energy first, everything that's, that, you know, this is scientific awareness that everything is moving atoms and, and it's electrified energy. And so when we start worrying about them in our mind, then we start feeling their emotion, then we're carrying them around even more. So to be the brightest light, I would say I am right there 100% and even more um, with the client. I mean, I am right there. I hear every single word they're saying. I am right there with their emotion, but I don't start allowing myself because I want everyone to get more in charge of this to allow yourself not to absorb it. So it's really being an observer and to be a fascinated observer. That's what I would say to you and the listeners is to be fascinated with the process of our clients. And yet, see, that's different than merging with them. Being fascinated is not taking on their stuff. So that's one of the the main ways to be the light for everybody. Plus, I teach people a lot to run their energy very deliberately. And so that's very, very helpful too, to actually deliberately get more in charge of the spirit of who we are, that non-physical part of who we are. Oh, and when you talk about run their energy, yeah, can you say a little bit more about that? Well, it's about running our own energy and also being the teachers that we are and all this to teach either other people how to do this. But yes, do you want me to describe it? Is that what Sure. You? Okay. Sure. Right. Well, I guess I'll back up a little bit. And what I noticed intuitively with people who are doing very, very well in life, who are even charismatic, who have lots of energy and can take on this and that, I noticed that their energy field flows in a certain way. And so I started to study that and this particular flow, for some reason, it popped up on YouTube and I never get on YouTube, but it popped up on YouTube, what I was describing, and it's called the human 
toroidal field. And literally, our energy is to rise up and fill up every cell of who we are and to fill ourselves up with our thoughts. Because let me throw this in too. Princeton University has been doing a lot of research and scientists all over the world have been doing a lot of research about this. And they have determined that energy follows human thought. So the more we think about filling up with rainbows, the rainbow energy, filling up with golden vibration of energy, and to have it come up through the soles of our feet and filling, filling, filling every time we inhale through our nose or our mouth. I ask people to imagine inhaling up through the soles of your feet until we get so full of rainbows and shimmering, sparkling gold. I hope your listeners are doing this right now as I describe it. To just inhale and imagine, pretend and think that you're also inhaling up through the soles of your feet. And then I want you to think and notice and imagine rainbows, and then imagine and think golden energy, just filling every cell of who we are and especially directing it with our thoughts up inside of our spinal cord into every single organ, every single muscle, every single joint, until we are so full, we are literally shining out through every inch of our skin. And then allow the crown of our head, the top of our head to open. And that we're so full of light, our light shoots up into the heavens and beyond that even and taps in. And then the universe gives back to us and rains back that energy and even more back down into our physical body, back down into our energy field, and then down into the earth. And then we're a pumping mechanism, really. So then again, it comes up through the soles of our feet. So that's really what I'm talking about, about being the brightest light for everyone, is very deliberately getting in charge of our energy field. I don't know about you, Andrea, but that was very powerful. I was doing this as she was talking, and I could feel the rainbows. I could feel the light. And then when the universe sent it back to me, I felt a whoosh all the way through. Yes. Thank you, Tina. I think I needed that. I really do. Well, and, you <laughs> know, you. people will ask, um, ask me, well, how often should I do that? And I'll say I do it uh, multiple times throughout the day. I also do it when I go to bed at night. It's, it's not only rejuvenating, but it's relaxing also. Look, it only took a couple of minutes. I so agree with Kathleen on that. That was really nice. I just closed my eyes there and went along with it. And I feel better. And to have something that quick, that easy, that... I'm going to say individual, you know, often we look outside of ourselves all the time. At least, you know, I think that's 
a tendency we seem to have is the answers outside of us. Yes. And I love that technique because it's about us being in charge of our own energy, taking that responsibility and empowering ourselves in communion with the universe, with this energy. And the fact that you said to do it a few times a day, why not? Why not? And if we're weaving that through our day, look at the undercurrent that that produces where we're really being stewards of our own energy. We're really staying with this whole uh, mindset of supporting ourselves, of being plugged in and being aware. So I thank you for that and for sharing that with, with all the listeners. It also helps us to remember that our life is not just the physical world around us, that we are attending also to that spirit of us, the electrical aliveness of it is what it helps to remind us of. And that circles back to the beginning of the conversation when we were talking about the physical and the non-physical. Oh, yes, yes. It really does. And I'm going to take a little bit of a detour here because The thing that I hear a lot from people, and I've seen this with clients, that they'll do a lot of protection uh, of their energy field. And I've seen it even in sessions where I've been offering Reiki and there's actually a structure in their energy field that I come across. In my mind, I'm thinking, oh, I bet they do protection rituals on their energy. Yes. And I have to tell you, I want to share this really quickly because we were talking about trusting I'm thinking of one particular client who I had never met before, and I came across this structure in her energy. I mean, it seems kind of strange, right? But I have to tell you, the emotion that came with it for me, it laid all doubt to rest. I had such a surety, and I had excitement that at the end of the session, I was going to ask her about it because there was just such truth to it and a resonance. And so my fear just evaporated. And like I say, I had that excitement to talk to her about it. And yeah, and we brought this up in a previous episode. But what are your thoughts about that with so many people constructing, you know, they put mirrors or bubbles or things like that around their energy? We saw nothing of that sort in that exercise you just took us through. When I was working uh, with this one particular person, her energy field had like a thick, sticky, gummy, grayish cloud around her. And I truly couldn't get through it even intuitively to perceive uh, her. And so what I said to her is I said, you protect a lot, don't you? And she said, oh, yes, I have for 20, 25 years, something like that. And I'll say, but when you protect yourself, you usually only do it when you're feeling a bit of fear. And she says, oh, you're right. And I said, what's been building up is fear and not protection. And that made so much sense to her. And so with her, I taught her that our greatest protection is not to encapsulate ourselves. It's not to create gummy, dense, foggy clouds around us. It's about shining from inside so brilliantly and shining out 
And a lot of people forget their backside. So I'd really emphasize that to everybody. That's our protection that we are the most glowing, brightest, vibrational energy being that we can be because the negativity just can't stand that brightness and it just bounces off. That's exactly what I was thinking. As you said earlier and several times, be the brightest light. That is the best protection yes. of all. As yes. you said, nothing nothing can stick to that. No. Nope. Nothing can stick to that. Yeah. So that gives us even more reason to make sure we are the brightest light we can be. And the exercise you just guided us through is a perfect example. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I really like about that is for the listeners, you don't need any special type of training or skill or ability to do that. You don't have to be a Reiki person. You don't have mm -hmm. to take a class. This is something you can do with yourself anytime, anywhere you feel you need it. We all have that ability right within us. And I think that's important. It's not complicated. It's not time consuming. You don't have to learn a whole lot. All you got to do is think of rainbows and golden light. How awesome is that? Well, and to actually deliberately run it in a certain way and to really truly realize that energy follows human thought. So what we think exactly. creates energy, but what we think also directs our energy field in certain ways. We're much more in charge of ourselves than we realize, and we're much more powerful than people realize, too. I absolutely agree with that. And I want to just make a comment about one of your earlier books, The Reiki Teacher's Manual. Oh, yes. That book was instrumental in getting me to start teaching Reiki. Oh, Kathleen. I, <laughs> I was on the fence about teaching. I felt that I couldn't do it. I didn't know enough, all those doubts and fears, of course. And I came across your book and I read it and the way you presented it made it feel so natural and the next logical step that I went for it. In fact, I still reference your book in my classes. Aww. There's a couple of handouts I give to my students from your book. Thank and you. I just wanted you to know that because it it really is a very grounded way of explaining things that are sometimes difficult to explain. Yes, yes, yes. So thank you so much for that. And I'm thrilled that, that that helped you to teach Reiki and to teach this particular energy vibration, because that's what Reiki is. It's a very distinct frequency of energy. Right. And one of the takeaways from your book is what you've said already energy follows as i say intention i say yes. energy follows intention in fact i tell my students that if you take only one thing away from today's class remember those three words energy follows intention <laughs> that is one of the cornerstones of my teaching that was my first book and what led me to write that was that so many people came to me and they said oh i would love to teach it but i don't know how and i heard that so many times i thought maybe I better write a book because it will give them kind of a structure for each level. And so thank you so much for right. saying that. I was one of those people that I didn't know how. I felt at a loss and I came across your book and this was in uh, mid-2013. Mm -hmm. 
so a while ago. Yes. And it really did give me the confidence and the impetus to move forward with teaching. And speaking of Reiki, Tina, with regards to medical intuition, how does that combine? Do you do medical intuition during a Reiki session or would you do a medical intuition reading? I guess maybe that's the word that you would use. I'm not sure. Um, separately from a Reiki session. What are your thoughts on that? I would really want people to realize that Reiki does, I'm telling you, just open the door to our intuitive abilities. And that's the primary thing I hear from Reiki people all the time is, um, oh my goodness, they re start receiving so much information that sometimes it scares them. So I want to really help people to realize that Reiki opens up our intuitive abilities and it's natural. It's not something that me and a few others have in the world. It's not that gift. It is a very natural level of awareness. What I would say is some people actually have their Reiki session and they just take note of what they're noticing intuitively. And how I began to do it is at the end of my Reiki sessions, I don't talk during the session, but when the session was over and I told them, okay, your, your session's over. When they sat up, I said, you know, I received some intuitive information during the Reiki session. Would you be interested in hearing it? Every single person said, oh, yes, tell me. So even, and sometimes it might be kind of scary, but I'm telling you, people are yearning for this level of help in their life. So I just asked them, well, do you want to, to hear what I perceived? Yes, every time, yes. So realize that you can include it after your session. You'll just have to account for a bit of time after the Reiki session to do it, but people will not turn you down. I found that to be absolutely yep. true. Yes. Yep. It's people Same really here. do absolutely. want that other level of, yes. of insight and to be able to empower people to do that themselves. That's just got to be absolutely thrilling. Yeah. I would imagine for you. So you're teaching now. Can you tell us what you're teaching? I know that recently you've been added as a faculty member for the Shift Network, which yes. that's very exciting. Thank I'm going to say, I'll share here with the listeners, I was fortunate enough to take your medical intuition class in person a few years back, and I learned so much. The class was rich with experience mm -hmm. and practice, yeah. and you're just um, an amazing teacher. So I'm going to just say that right there. But oh, right. Um, and now that you know the world's changed a little bit, I know that you're offering some things online, and so people might be really interested in pursuing this sort of subject, this medical intuition. And so can you tell us a little bit about your classes and um, and what you offer? Well, it's the information. I often offer it in a three-day intensive workshops. It's usually a Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. And since COVID, everything's gone to Zoom. 
We're still sitting there with each other, though. It's very interactive. There's breakout sessions to practice with and get to know other people from all over the world that you practice with. So people are loving it. They feel like it's just as powerful as we all sitting in the same room. I offer the the basic three-day, and sometimes it stretches out depending on the organization that I'm a faculty member with, because I'm a faculty now with five different organizations. But then I also have a master's level, and that's another two-day intensive. And the three-day is a prerequisite, because I try to really present everything in a step-by-step-by-step manner so that each step builds on the next one. I also offer individual mentoring sessions, so they're private. I record them on Zoom as well. And we can get a lot done in an hour session on a one-to-one, so I offer that in, in my books. Fantastic. And the new one coming out that I mentioned earlier, that is more, and please correct me if I'm uh, wrong, but that's more about tuning into yourself and being your own medical intuitive. Is that right? Yes. My other two medical intuitive books were really, uh, the, the complete focus is how to do this level of work for other people. So how to become a practitioner for medical intuition. This next book that's coming out, the Be Your Own Medical Intuitive, that's really, I thought, well, wait a minute, we're doing this for ourselves also, or could be doing it even more for ourselves. So that's very, very much for people that are practitioners, but also people that really aren't interested in being a practitioner. Their focus is to work uh, on their self And so that's what that book is about. You're right. I would imagine that that just helps them bring more light in, right? Absolutely. Yes, it does. Yes. Yes. I sure hope so, too. Do you also teach classes on how to be your own medical intuitive? Or is that still just in book form and something you may address in the future? Well, my first course based on doing this for ourselves is actually through the shift network that's coming up here pretty soon. And so I developed that course through them and it will be a complete focus on ourselves, our own development, our own healing. Thank you. Yes. I would imagine that there's some unique challenges for that because I know for myself, it's often easier for me to you know, be the practitioner for another person, but to turn the eyes upon myself and to really look in, there's a different level of fear there, perhaps for people. Absolutely. I'm glad you brought it up because my goal for that book and and this course is to get to know ourselves again with fascination and not with fear, to actually be more Uh, friends with our physical body, but in deep friendship with our spirit body. That's actually my goal is to take the fear out of knowing more about ourselves and getting more in charge of ourselves. True empowerment, because I just feel that when we are strong like that, when we are fearless and we're the light, we help bring it through as you have described, but also it inspires other people to do that same sort of thing for themselves. Mm -hmm. We can become examples in a way and model that self-empowerment, which 
I think does help other people on the road to claiming that for themselves. Very much. So I thank you so much for your work and your messages. And I'm going to pre-order that book. Oh, and <laughs> thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Me too. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of books, we'll certainly put links to Tina's books down in the show notes. So if you're interested in those, find the links there. And we'll also put your website down there. How can they find out more about your classes? Is that through your website? And yes. can you share with them what that is? Okay. The website name is very simple. It's tinazion.com. And on it, there'll be a drop-down menus uh, for, I have a recorded course. It's all the information and 15 handouts. And then I also have the live courses. So it will be on there. And then some more information about the books and things like that. Fantastic. A lot of resources there for people who decide that mm -hmm. this might be something for them to pursue. You know, some people have got a hold of me and they said, I don't even know why I contacted you. But see, they don't realize that they're noticing their intuitive guidance and so many people are getting pulled and they're yearning not only to heal in these ways, but also to, to be a practitioner for others in these ways. Have you seen a big increase over the years? Because you've been doing this for, for some time. Yes. Have yeah. you seen a big expansion in people looking to, to help in this way? Yes. It's amazing to me, actually. And, and I'll share this with everyone that the medical field is coming to my workshops more and more and more. By that, I mean medical doctors, I mean surgeons, nurses and nurse practitioners, massage therapists, physical therapists, uh, speech therapists. So the, the traditional medical field is also opening up, I think, a lot faster than what people realize, because they realize, and this is what a lot of doctors and nurses say to me, that somehow I just know things about my patient before I even look at the chart. How am I doing that? How did I know that? So I'm getting that a lot from people. I have goosebumps. I from know. That. I'm excited about it. Yes. That's that amazing. Encouraging news. Yes, it is yes. encouraging. encouraging news. It is. I love Absolutely. it. Yes. It's wonderful. Well, Andrea, it looks like we've run out the clock once again. That's always a good sign that we've had a great guest. And Tina, we want to thank you so much for being here. I know I've learned an awful lot. And I want to thank you for your time, for sharing your knowledge and your expertise. It's been amazingly helpful. And to all our listeners, I hope that you will follow up with some of the things that Tina offered today. They can do nothing but help you, and we can use all the help we can get these days, as we know. We look forward to meeting you again in a couple of weeks beyond the Reiki Gateway. And until then, take good care and be well. Thank you again for joining us, and we would invite you to return to another episode as we journey beyond the Reiki Gateway with Kathleen Johnson and Andrea Kennedy.